Number one, we're gonna go, we're back here in verse six and seven, and we're gonna spend the morning in verse seven, and then uh, uh, get through this. Uh, we uh, let's just read the verses to get them into our minds here. Uh, verse six and seven, Romans one, verse six. Among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Heavenly Father, as we look this morning at this wonderful passage here, as we begin this book of really all of the things of who we are, and as we're reminded of it, and as we're just enthralled with your love for us and we'll just give you the praise and the glory in your name we pray amen as again i said last time there's basically four issues here one verse six the called of jesus christ then the beloved of god called to be saints grace to you and peace from god our father and the lord jesus christ so we have those four issues here and uh, i was asked by my lovely wife why are we doing one word at a time and taking our time here and really it was a good question and I'm doing that because these are all of who we are none of this is about our activity none of this is about our duty our practice our state however you like to say it these are all reminders of who we are in Christ. Now, we will get to our activities. We will get to our state. We will get to our practice when we get over in chapters 6, 7, and 8. But here, as he's getting the book started, he's laying in, hey, this is who you guys are. You need to remember this as we move forward. Because he's going to, man, when you, get into, when you get into Romans 6, and he tells you basically to knock it off and quit sinning. If you don't know who you are, then you can't you you struggle with that verse, with those doctrinal uh, exhortations. So he reminds us here. This is a lot like Ephesians one, when he lists the spiritual blessings out for you there in, in pretty deta- uh, succinct information. So as we go through here. Verse 6, we are the called of Jesus Christ. Again, none of this is about our lives, our living, our activity. This is all about our standing, our position. You know, standing versus state, position versus practice. And you have to make those distinctions. We are called to be. We belong to him. He bought us with the price. We're going to see that as we go into this. So we're call, we've talked about being the called of Jesus Christ. We're not talking about Calvinism. We're not talking about theolo- theological bents, the Reformed theology, the covenant theology. By the way, they're all the same, just FYI. They changed their names over the years to make them attractive to, to the millennials, to the new group of people coming in. I was talking with a couple uh, last week weekend and they've come to church once or twice and they've we've we're going through some things with them and and i said listen i realize that it looks like we have a lot of older folks but we do have younger kit younger people 
they're just like you guys starting life and getting going and they haven't quite clued in on what's important yet I said so just hang hang with us and keep around you know and everything and they're like yeah you notice you notice that look on our face I said yeah because what happens with young people they don't have a clue what's going on they haven't clued into it yet life hasn't hit them up between the maybe they have I don't know but so what does theology do what does religion do reinvent itself use use different terminology to catch those young folks the Roman Catholics did it right after all of the priest stuff hit the air they literally were losing more people out the front door than were coming in the back door and when they did that they had to stop and reinvent themselves so they they really dropped Rome Roman off the word Catholic now they're just Catholics it's a marketing ploy okay stuff like that they do different things and now they 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 saw the if you're familiar with the Mormons and how they're so family driven they're that way till you get in them till you get in behind the scenes they're not so much that way behind the scenes I'll just F, FYI yeah okay but the thing of it is is that's a marketing ploy it looks good it makes us feel good Paul here you're called to be this is who you are and we spent last week looking down through at the different verses in Scripture when you come to Scripture these terms they're defined for you and they're nothing like the theology groups then he says in verse 7 to all that be in Rome now the all there obviously they're they're the Saints they are believers people get upset with this book with Paul saying why do you call why are you putting why does this book sit at the beginning when he's talking to save people and in chapter 1 here down in about verse 18 he starts talking about the heathen and he starts talking about, and they bow their back about it well the thing of it is is Paul's been preaching this stuff since road to Damascus flip back to Acts 26 with me and so when he says to all that be in Rome yeah he's talking to the believers because who would he write to the believers duh that's not hard you know five chapters about your justification and then 12 and a 12 more books and 11 chapters about your just about your sanctification in your walk why because you're saved how many times one time but man you you struggle with the living part because he left us here so you got more doctrine there okay well look at Acts 26 Acts 26 um, Acts 20 Acts 26 I'm looking here hang on All right, you got Acts 26? Flip back to Acts 20, just real quick. Acts 20, 20. We'll get to 26. Acts 20, 20. To all that be in Rome. Who's he talking to? The believers. Acts 20, 20. In verse 17 of Acts 20 says, And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. Now, Rome, Romans is written in Acts 20, verse 1 and 2, right in that time period, when he's there in Macedonia and Greece and Corinth. Then he, verse 17, who does he call? The Ephesian elders, right? See that? Now look at verse 20. And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, 
but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house. Paul doesn't, never holds back and says, hang on a minute, I haven't wrote that book yet. You don't get that. Now come over to 26. He's instantly giving them everything he's got. You know, he gets a new revelation. The Lord stops him, throws him in jail so he can get some writing done. Guess what? That stuff's been being preached since day one. How do you know that? Well, look at Acts 26. Paul recounts his his uh, vision here in front of Agrippa. Verse 13, At midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun, shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. Acts 26, 13. So we're talking about the Acts event, Acts 9 event. Verse 16, But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen. What did Paul see on the road to Damascus? That is a great question. Who did he see on the road to Damascus? The risen, the resurrected, ascended Lord Jesus Christ. When he says, Lord, who are you? And he says, I am Jesus, the one you've been persecuting, finishes the sentence. The apostle Paul is receiving 1 Corinthians 3, 3 and 15, 3 and 4, the my gospel. He's getting the gospel message preached to him right here. And of those things in which I will appear unto thee. So, Paul, I'm giving you your gospel message and some other things. And then over here, I'm going to give you some more things. Delivering thee from the people, that's unbelieving Israel, and from the Gentiles... Unto whom now, key word is that now, not Acts 13, Acts 9. Now I send thee. Okay? So if he's saving him from the people and the Gentiles, separating him out, and he's going to send him back, what's Paul also learning on the road to Damascus? Not only my gospel, but some dispensational items as well. But now watch the next verse. To open their eyes. Why am I sending you? To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins. How do you get that done? The gospel does that, doesn't it? So what has Paul got? My gospel. He's got his gospel message clearly in Acts chapter 9 on the road to Damascus. But there's the next word. And... Inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Inheritance among them which are sanctified. There's, our, there's that holy word called to be saints. So what else did he receive? He received some grace life stuff too. Some information about, hey, we're going to get going. So my thing for, to you would be, on the road to Damascus, he got Romans delivered to him. The doctrine, the four foundations of Romans, he got delivered to him. Not every little nook and cranny because he writes the book and we're going to see he goes to the poor saints in Jerusalem and stuff like that. But those crux core foundational points, he got delivered to him on the road to Damascus. So when he comes in in verse 7 here, to all that be in Rome, he, these people at Rome, they know about Paul. He hasn't been there yet. He's going to get there. Okay. So these guys are saved 
of, in Paul's ministry, but not by Paul. You follow that? He doesn't get to Rome till Acts 26, 27, 28. They're already in existence. They're already there. So they've heard the gospel. They got saved. And they've been hearing some things about the edification process. And Paul says to all that be in Rome, then he says, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace and peace. You see, folks, he, he's going to remind them of who they are. Who are they? They are the called of Jesus Christ. They are the beloved of God. And they are called to be saints. And God's demonstrating some grace and peace. Okay? Now, called to be... We, we left last time off looking a little bit about that called to be saints. We looked over at the issue there of the Corinthians. Do the Corinthians, come on over to 1 Corinthians 1. Do the Corinthians deserve to be called saints? And I know what everybody does. Hang on a minute. What do you mean? Well, saints. That word, the, the Greek word, just so you get a little Greek this morning. You know, I don't know if we're going to have Greek food, but we'll get a little Greek, Okay. The Greek word for saint, the root word is the same word for holy. It's the same word for sanctified. It's the same word in sanctification. By the way, do you hear saint in those words? Okay. It's a wonderful word, that word saint. And it's a, it's a word that is your name. I'm Saint Rick. I want to be called St. Rick. Actually, my name is Bishop Rick. It's in Acts there. Okay, just FYI. Okay, no, because I'm the, the bishop. You know, I had a guy one time, tell, he, boy, he pitched in a fit about we use the, the term pastor. You should be using bishop and deacon. And I said, dude, in my neck of the woods, you know what a bishop is? Belongs to the Mormon church. I can't get anywhere if I say, hey, I'm Bishop Rick. How are you? Because what happens? Whoa, he's Mormon. <laughs> I did that one time, not realizing uh, we just moved into our neighborhood in 1998, and they were finishing up. The houses were all done by 99, and we were starting a church and everything. So I door knocked on my neighborhood, and you know that's what we did at home. That's what we're gonna do. And hung, I had a little door hanger thing about, hey, we're meeting over here at the La Quinta and everything. And and uh, you do it in the middle of the day, nobody's home, so you don't have to deal with anybody, you know, and you just hang the door. That's the trick. But I was looking to deal with someone. Well, I knocked on the door, and the door creaked open, and she says, we don't want any. Wham! And I'm like, well, don't want any? So I left the door hanger, and I went, I 430-something homes I hit in a day, one day, just boom, just walking. Then I get home, and I'm talking to Linda about it, and she's like, well, were you dressed like that? And I said, yeah. I had a shirt, white shirt and a black tie. I know nothing about where I'm at. They didn't want to deal with who? Bishop Rick. <laughs> they didn't, well, wham, you know, needless to say, I didn't get any feedback from any. So the next time I went out and did it, I went in a polo and shorts. And they thought I was selling them cookies or something else, you know. So I just gave up. But... That has nothing to do. We're our name, called to be saints. 
See, we're Saint Rick, Saint Lay, Saint Bruce, Saint Bear. We're, we're saints. That's our name. That's our title. That's who we are. And again, it has nothing to do with our activity. And you have to remember that when you think about saints. Look, if you will, at 1 Corinthians 1, verse number 2, just as a reminder. Under the church of God, which is at, Christ, uh, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus. What were they? Who are they? They're saints. Yet chapter 3 says they're carnal, they're babes, their behavior is horrible. He's not talking about their behavior. He'll deal with that. He's talking about who they are. Look over at verse number 9. God is faithful by whom you were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, God does care about your activity. That's why he spends so much time talking about it and dealing with it. But here, who, who are we talking about? Saints. We're talking about holy people, you know. He says, I wouldn't have that that would be once named among you. Why? Because a sinning saint doesn't sound right. That's who you are, a saint. That's who you are, regardless of your activity, regardless of your practice. And that's why you have to make such a distinction between who you are, your standing. That's why I keep telling you, you know who you are in Christ. When you understand that, then guess what happens? You know something. Remember Romans 6? That word know shows up a lot. Know you not, know you not, know you. Why? Because when you understand who you are, then when you go over here and you begin to look at things, you go, wait a minute, that's not me. I'm not doing that because this is who I am. Come back with me to Exodus. Let's think about that word holy, that word sanctified. Because when you think about that word holy, it shows up quite a bit in Scripture. And I'm not talking about Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost. I'm talking about the word holy, sanctified. That word saint, to be set apart for something. It's very specific. Watch it here in Exodus 3. Moses, God is dealing with Moses, and this is the burning bush scene. Look at verse 5. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is what? Holy ground. Now, you, that Mount, uh, Mount Sinai up there where, where Moses is sitting and doing, that little desert patch, God says what? It's holy. But when you take a sample of it and run it through all of the testing, guess what it is? Dirt. We're not talking about, but God says what? It's holy. I set this dirt up as a something special for my purpose, for my use. And I'm going to use it, and we're not looking at the doctrine here. I just want you to catch that word holy, how it's used in Scripture, how that issue of saint is used. It is all about identity and identifying something that's been set apart for his use. You belong to him. That piece of ground, come over to chapter 16. Chapter 16. That piece of ground is just that. It's just dirt. But God called it what? 
holy because he set that little burning bush thing aside for him. By the way, just FYI, in Scripture, the symbol for Israel is the burning bush, not the so-called Star of David. It's the burning bush. That's their symbol. Now, that would, doesn't look good on a flag, and the Baal worship has, gets into Israel so deep that they throw up the Star of Moloch up there, and they call it the Star of David. You know David did not have a star. Do you know who has a star in Scripture? Only one person has a star, the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, it doesn't look like that. <laughs> okay? Anyway, Exodus 16. Exodus 16. Watch verse 23. Exodus 16, 23. And he said unto them, This is that which the Lord hath said, Tomorrow is the rest of the holy Sabbath unto the Lord. Bake that which ye will bake today, and see that, that ye will seethe, and that which remaineth over lay up for you to be kept until the morning. Do you see how he, talk, he calls that seventh day, that Sabbath day, the holy Sabbath? Now, he doesn't always use that term, holy, in front of Sabbath. Now, hold on to Exodus. Well, yeah, hold on to Exodus. Run back to Genesis 2, where this event it takes place. Because Moses is talking to him, and he says, hey, that day is what? Holy. Now, watch Genesis 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and what? Sanctified it. What did he do? He made that seventh day holy. He set that seventh day apart for a reason for something very specific. And when you study out the Sabbath issue in Scripture, by the way, God doesn't get tired, you know. We move a few tables and I'm exhausted. And the day hadn't even started yet. Well, getting in bed at 2 a.m. didn't help. But, you know, but see, the thing is, is he, God didn't get weary. He rested. He, the work's done. Now what are we going to do? Step back and look at the work and admire the creation work. And when you study that Sabbath out, the Lord's Sabbath, the Holy Sabbath, he looks at Israel and says, Israel, I didn't tell you to take Saturday off so you had a day off to go out and watch the football game or the camel races or the sheep shearing contest or whatever they had back then. He said, no, you take that day off so you stop and remember why I created you. Israel. You are my nation. You are the one that's going to run the earth. I created all this for you, and you need to stop and think about the doctrinal import of that. Okay? What did they do? Well, like any heathen, they messed that day up, and they got it into something that it's not. Now, saint sanctified, holy, all in the same thing, set apart for something very specific here. You got Exodus still? All right, run to Exodus 32, stick a fork in it, or a, I'm thinking about food now. 
run over to Psalms 106. You need Exodus 32 and Psalms 106. Psalms 106 and Exodus 32. And this is very interesting when you think about a saint. And again, this has nothing to do with your activity. Okay, well, he's such a saintly guy. Just say he was a good guy, okay? All right, it's not that at all. Now, look at Psalms 106, and look at verse 16. They envied Moses also in the camp, and Aaron, now watch, the saint of the Lord. Wow. Wouldn't you be like to be called the saint of the Lord? By the way, you are, okay? <laughs> but look, Aaron is called the what? The saint of the Lord. Do you know anything about, oh, buddy Aaron? Come back to Exodus 32, verse 1. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron, the saint of the Lord, by the way, and said unto him, Up, make us gods, and which shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man, see how they're, they're, they're following the man rather than the word? That's, by the way, this is how human viewpoint, this is how humanity looks at this event. What's he doing up there, by the way? The end of verse 18, the end of the chapter says that the finger of God's writing out the tables of stone. He's getting the word of God up there. He's getting the top ten commandments, you know, the ten commandments, the top ten. So Moses, verse 2, And Moses said unto them, Break off the golden earrings, uh, which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons, and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off their golden earrings, which were in their ears, brought them to unto Aaron. He received them at their hand and fashioned it with graven tools, and he made it a molten calf. And they said, These be the gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamations and said, Tomorrow is a feast of the Lord. And they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and to rose up to play. You know what happened that day? Aaron, the saint of God, saint of the Lord, had a bad day. Because look at what he did. He caused a golden calf to be made. He did it. And then he introduced that issue of Baal worship, just pushed it along in Israel's history. But what it, who is Aaron? He's the saint of the Lord. See, that's his identity. It's not talking about his activity. Come down to verse 21, Exodus 32, verse 21. And Moses said unto Aaron, What did this people unto thee, that thou hast brought so great a sin upon them? Aaron, he's playing, I didn't do it, they made me do it routine, and Moses just calls him right on the carpet and says, No, you did this. But who is Aaron? He's the saint of the Lord. Verse 25. And when Moses saw that the people were naked, for Aaron, by the way, the saint of the Lord, had made them naked into their, under their shame among their enemies. Verse 32. Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray thee out of, the, of thy book which thou hast written. Uh, well, then, verse 35, there it is, I'm sorry. And the Lord plagued the people because they made the calf which Aaron made. When you come back 
to Romans 1, called to be saints, that's who you are, folks. It's not talking anything. Come over to 2 Timothy 2. He's not talking about your activity. There is Aaron. Who is Aaron? He is the saint of the Lord. And what's he over here doing? Violating the word of God. Got, you know, yeah, got off on it. You know, he took a cut of the gold. <laughs> this is my pay. You pay, I pay, we all pay. <laughs> here we go. That's the point here. 2 Timothy 2. 2 Timothy 2. Look, if you will, at verse 19. 2 Timothy 2, verse 19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his. Boy, that is a great verse. The foundations of God are sure, solid, there. Why? Because he knows who are his. You're a saint. You're called, the called of Jesus Christ. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Uh-oh. <laughs> we have a name change, folks. When the Lord Jesus Christ, when you and I go to Calvary, we were talking about this last month in the stuff about Satan polluting the genetics of humanity. When you and I get saved... We have a genetic change. We get a name change. When Linda and I got married, Linda's last name became Jordan. She had a name change. That's an identity change. We have the same when we get saved. We actually literally take on his DNA, his genetics. Bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Hey, folks, we have this union. We have this total identity with him. And he says, listen, I want you to depart from iniquity, but I want you to do it because you know and understand who you are and who are you. You're called to be saints. You're saints. You're holy. You're sanctified. You're set apart for his eternal purpose, by the way. Come back over to Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. So as we, again, we're, we're not getting into the nitty-gritty of living life yet. Paul's just starting the book of Romans by reminding you who you are. Because he's going to get you when you get over in 6, 7, and 8. He's going to put, you know, we're, he, he's, the, again, if you think about a courtroom, he's, this is his opening remarks. <laughs> he's just getting people ready, remind you who we're talking about. Look at Ephesians 5 and verse number 3. But fornication and all uncleanliness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh who? Saints. Who are you? You're saints. So guess what you shouldn't be doing? All that other there. But who are you? Saints. So if you are doing all that st bad stuff, but you're still who? Saints. That's who you are. Come back to Romans 14. Romans 14. Romans 14. And on your way, well, Romans 14 and verse number 8. Romans 14, 8. For whether we live, we live under the Lord. Whether we die, we die under the Lord. 
Whether we live, therefore, or die. The two extremes in life, isn't it? Doesn't matter where you're at. On the life to death scale, who are we? We are the Lord's. Why? 1 Corinthians 6, he says he bought you. He owns you. He paid a price, didn't he? Over there in Colossians 1, verse 14, he's redeemed us. He went down into the gutter of the slave market of sin down there he, because of Calvary, and, and you trust him. As soon as you trusted him at Calvary, he went to work on you spiritually, gave you his DNA, gave you his genetics, made you him, his, gave you a name change, made you a part of his body. Think about that. By the way, that helps with that Romans 11, the grafting in stuff. I, it just frustrates the fire out of me. When people get all that, you know, anyway, I get over it. Maybe. <laughs> but see, the thing is, is that's who you are. That's what we're doing here. He, we are his personal possession. Now, come back to Romans 1. We're called to be saints. And that's because we are the beloved of God in that verse. I know we kind of jumped them, but did them a little out of order. But that's because we're the beloved of Christ. We're the beloved of God. Because he loved us. Be loved, beloved. That's a wonderful word. And it's a term of really of, of the intensity of his love for you and I. Think about that term, be loved. Be, to be is to exist. Romans 5, verse 1, he says, Therefore, being justified. My, our existence is one of what? Justified. To be. To being. Our place, our position. Be. And then loved. So uh, we exist in God's love pretty simple. By the way, if you look that word up in a dictionary, you got a hard time with it. You look it up in the etymology books and stuff. I did that the other day and they don't know where it came from. They can't honestly tell you where it came from because of that prefix B. So guess what you do with the dictionary? Right now. The close, the X file. <laughs> close it. But when you come to scripture, guess what you real quickly learn? what that word means. You see, folks, we exist in God's love, but really there's a deeper part to it than just existing in God's love. That, that's how religion would have you. Oh, have a blessed day. Have a blessed what? Ain't nothing blessed about this, you know? Yeah, I mean, if you think about whatever you're going through. But they like to flower it. And beloved is one of those where they just throw a bunch of flowers. But when you get into it, you know what? It becomes more, it becomes so much deeper. We are the best loved. We are greatly loved of God. We're dearly loved. Come over to Romans 12. Romans chapter 12. You see, folks, we're a part of his family. Romans chapter 12. So then we become the first loved ones. That's why I said we're the best loved of God. The Father over there. 
I will do it in a minute. Romans 12, verse number 19. Romans 12, 19. Dearly beloved. Isn't that interesting? Dearly beloved. You see, folks, we are dear to God. We are critical to the Father. So much so that He can't exist without us. And when I say that, I mean, I know God exists, okay? But what is he doing today? He's forming the church, the body of Christ, for his eternal purpose, isn't he? If we're not the first loved, if we're not critical to him, then guess what he can't do? His eternal purpose in the heavenly places. So we are dear to him. He created a new creature. He took humanity and said, I'm going to make a new species of humanity here. One that's never been seen before. One that will go and sit and reign and rule in the heavenly places. So what do we have to have? Well, Philippians tells us our vile bodies changed and we put on his glorious body. We, become, we have him. We, we're in union with him. He, the Father has given us his genetics we have his genes in us. You know, you look at Ricky, and you know real far who his dad is. You look at me and my dad. <laughs> I have a picture at home when David got married, and the three of us are standing there, and it's like bookends, you know. Then you throw my uncle, my mom's oldest brother in, and I look just like him. The genetics of it. Guess what, folks? We have his genetics. We are the called of Jesus Christ. We're the beloved. We're the special ones. He made us a part of his family. Come on over to Colossians 3. I hope that kind of sinks in with you. By the way, Titus 3, verse 5. You see that, you know that, that word regeneration? He regeneticed you. He regened you. That's why when you read that word generation, you can't instantly jump to 40 years or 50 years or whatever because that word genetic is in there. When he looks at Israel and he says, you're the untoward generation, then he looks over and says, you're of your father, the devil. Who generated that untoward generation genetically? Satan did. That's who they belong to. So you've got to be careful with that. Did I call Colossians 3? Verse 12. Put on therefore. Colossians 3, 12. So folks, when, when you and I got saved, when we went to Calvary and we trusted him in his shed blood and we passed from death to life, Ephesians 2, 1, he quickens you. He regenetic he you. He gave... We're the original genome project. That's who we are. That's why we're the beloved. We're the first loved. We're greatly loved. Colossians 3.12, you got it now? Okay. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy, there's our saints, and what? Beloved. There it is. Put it on. Who are you? Come back to Ephesians 5. 
Who are you? Well, you're the saint, but you're also greatly loved. We exist in his great love. Ephesians 5 and verse 1, Be ye their followers of God as what? What kind of children? Dear children. We're the object of his intense love. We're the center of his delight. That's where we are. That's what Paul's doing in Romans 1. He stands up in the courtroom. He's laying out the case. He's going to start laying the case out here when we get down in it. And he says, hey, just to remind the jury of who you are, here's who you are. Just to remind you of who this side of the room, the defendant, the, the prosecuting table is, here's who you are. Come over to chapter 1 of Ephesians. Chapter 1. We've been going through chapter 1 here on Tuesday nights, and we're down to verse 15 now, so we're going to move into outer space. They don't know that yet, but we're going to go there. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, the Father, hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Notice again, where? In Christ. It's everything's in Him. According as He hath chosen us in Him before the what? The foundation of the world. In a minute, we're going to look in John 17, and Jesus Christ says, Father, I want to go back to the love you had way back there before the foundation of the world. We'll talk about that. Of the world that we should be, what? Holy and without blame. Before him, where? In love. Holy. There's our sainthood again. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children... Note, by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure. Now, this is the critical part of his will. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Do you know that the psycho guy, the people out there they, that study mankind, they say you have three great needs. One is to be loved. The feeling of being loved. Accepted. The second one is the issue of having hope. If you don't have a hope, you struggle in life. That's usually where depression comes in because you have no hope. You have nothing at the end down there. And the third is a meaning, having a significant meaning, having a purpose. That's why when we put on the overhead, you guys think I just fill up pages on the overhead, those five things that we're about, guess what's in them? Love, hope, and meaning, all of it is right there, a purpose, a significant purpose. Folks, we are, it's in love. It's accepted in the beloved who can never fail you, never let you down, always there for you, always wins the day. He's right there. Now, I need you to get John 17. I want you to see this. I'm trying to not just spend a lot of time, but I, this, to me, I read this stuff and I go, you know what, I don't want to run through it. It's too important to, to grasp. So get John 17, Philippians 2, Ephesians 5, and Romans 8. <laughs> get John 17. We'll go one at a time, okay? Thank you. Get John 17 and Philippians 2. 
Philippians 2, and John 17. John 17 is the, is the Lord's Prayer, not Matthew 6. By the way, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That hallowed, that's holy. It's the same Greek word, ha- holy, hallowed, holy ground, holy. John 17, verse 24. The Lord's been praying to the Father about the the little flock, specifically the 12 apostles. And he says in verse 24, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me. All through this prayer, he says, those whom you've given me. That is a prayer not about you and I. That's a prayer about that little flock. And when you run that verse back into the Old Testament, in Isaiah specifically, he's talking about that tribulation group going to go through the 70th week of Daniel. They belong to him. He says, Be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me. For thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. Back Now come over to Philippians 2. Back before the foundation of the world, The love of the Godhead, that's this beloved, this deep-seated intensity of looking out for each other, caring for each other, paying attention, being there, whatever, however you need to make it work in your head. Now look at Philippians 2, verse 6. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, and being found fashioned as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Here you have the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son, sitting in in an environment of intense love and appreciation. And he leaves it to come to the world that's going to hate him and reject him and is evil. So that he can die for you. That's love. That's the intensity of it. So much so, down in verse 15, notice what he says about you and I, about the members of the body of Christ. He says in verse 15, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the what? The sons of God were in the family. Romans 8, we're there. Without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. He left the environment uh, of, of love for a cruel, evil, wicked, perverse world. And he did it so that you and I could experience the same love that he had back there. Among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Who is the light? John 1, talking about John the Baptist, came to be witness of the light. Capital L. Who's the light? Jesus Christ is. But that verse says, you are too. You and I are. Come over to Ephesians 5. Why? How in the world can you and I be light? Because we have his genetics. We have his DNA. We are going to make all men see what is the fellow. How do you make all men see? Because we are him and he's in us. And we're so, 
genetically codified together. That's who we are. Again, we don't live that way sometimes because this old flesh sneaks up and gets us. But this is about not that. This is about who you are. Look at Ephesians 5. Look at verse 6. Let no man deceive you with vain words. Boy, isn't that how they get you? Vain words. For because of the... Oh, let's see. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. That's who you were. Verse 8. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now ye are light in the Lord. Where are we light? In the Lord. You see, you don't, we don't stray too far from him. We're light in the Lord, so... What are we to do? Walk as children of light. That old flesh rears its head, we just knock it in the head with a two-by-four and keep going. Just put, just put it down. You see, folks, come back to, we're going to go back to Romans 1, but on your way, stop in 8. <clears throat> Romans 8. You see, when he says, beloved of God, called to be saints, the called of the Lord of Jesus Christ, he's talking about who you are. He's talking about this, this environment of you and I being in an environment, spiritually speaking, because physically we're still left in this, you know, old world. <laughs> you know, where you can't get stuff done. You know, you hurt yourself. You know, it's like, uh, you know, whatever. But he says, hey, that's why I said last week about this, the, the, the light affliction is but for the moment. See, we focus in on the what? The moment. And, and Paul's like, man, back up and look at the big picture, man. Live and die. We are, who do we belong to? The Lord. Romans 8. Did I tell you that? Good. Verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the, we're, the, we're, we're in the family, aren't we? We're not, we're not children. We're sons. We're adults. God looks at you as an adult and his family, even though adults don't always act like adults, right? And adults keep learning. You know what they always say, the, the bigger the boy, the bigger the toys, okay? <laughs> you know, okay. Verse 15, for ye have not received the spirit of bondage, again, to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, uh, the cry of the Son of God is Abba Father. It's a cry of maturity. It's a cry of understanding who you are. When Christ cries that in the, there in the cross events, he, he's done ticked down through everything and he makes that statement. He's right there in, the, in line with the Word of God. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Boy, look at that. We, how in the world can we be joint heirs with Christ unless we're what? In the family. And we're not in the family piecemeal. We're in it all the way. An heir of God. We're in the family. A joint, whatever God's going to give the, the son, we get a component of it as well. That's why I keep telling you folks, we are so critical he loves you so deeply because you're vital to what his eternal purpose is. So much so that without you, he couldn't get things done. So he couldn't exist, and that's what I meant by that. He can't get anything done. 
Why? Because he needs you. That's fantastic. Drop down to verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, in the doctrine here, we're talking about resurrection, okay? Now, but I want you to see the rest of the verse. That he might be the firstborn among many, what? Brethren. You know that he's the older brother and you're the younger brother? He looks at you and he says, I'm the older brother, you're the younger brother. You're the weaker brother. What does the older brother do with the younger brother? Stands up for him, defends him, shows him the way. I'm the oldest in our family. I can remember, you know, blood sticker than water, you know, speech, blah, blah, blah. You know, you, you go in there, somebody's picking on my brothers, you go in there and help them. <laughs> no, you go in there, that was a joke. Okay, you go in there and you defend them. What did he do? He went and did the one thing you and I couldn't do, and that's he died at Calvary. He paid your second death. He did it for you. And he says, you're my brother. You go down and, and hear verse 35, who shall separate us from the, what? The love of Christ. Verse 37, they in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. The end of verse 39, who shall be, able, uh, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Come back to chapter 1. When he says beloved, that's what he's talking about. This is who you are. You're in this family because of Calvary and because of the activity of the cross work. In the moment that you trusted Christ, you became a member of that family, and genetically you were altered. You got a new name. You got a new situation. You got a new identity. This is who you are. And I need you to remember that because when we get into the rest of this book, that's why I'm going to say some things I'm going to say to you. It's because you know who you are. And you need to remember that. Now, verse 7, the end of the verse, real quickly here. Grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. If I can, it's always been said that that is the grace, that's the Greek hello, peace, shalom, that's the Hebrew greeting. And I'll just say, that's not what he's talking about. Okay? When, when Paul says grace and peace, that is the official declaration of the Godhead's attitude toward, toward the world. Does God love the world? Yeah, Romans 5, verse 8. He loved you while you were yet a what? A sinner. But you know what? That love for that sinner one day is going to be separated away. It's called eternity in the lake of fire. It's called eternal punishment. But your, his love for you and his family goes on for eternity as well. Nothing can separate you from it. And you know why? Because his attitude today is one of grace and peace. Grace rather than law. Legalism. Peace rather than war and wrath. What he should have poured out. Come over one passage and we'll stop. I promise. Not really, but I promise. 2 Corinthians 5. Paul introduces every book with that grace and peace 
the pastoral epistles, he adds mercy in there. Because as a pastor, we need that issue of showing mercy to you, the congregation, because you're not doing what you need to be doing. And sometimes preachers get that little uh, power push, and they need to understand that they need to have mercy. But grace and peace is the official declaration of the attitude of God. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 19. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. You and I need to be preaching grace and peace. That's what we need to be preaching. Because that is the official declaration of the Godhead towards the world. Rather than pouring out wrath and, ang- and, and all that, I'm pouring out my grace and I'm pouring out my peace. So that the world can be what? Reconciled to me. So I'm not going to impute their trespasses to them. If he, imputed, if he imputed the trespasses, he'd have to wipe everybody out. But he says, no, Calvary covered it all. Calvary paid it all. I am the Savior of all men, especially them that believe. The message is unto all, but it's only upon all them that believe. We looked at that. Now, back in Romans 1, 7, that's where we're at. Because now in verse 8, he's going to say, first, and we'll start there next time, okay? Get what he's doing here in verse 6 and 7. He's not talking about your lifestyle. He's going to get you in chapter 6, 7, and 8. He's just simply reminding you of who you are in Christ. That's all he's doing. And those are great subjects that you can literally spend years studying out. Okay? All right. Dear Holy Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for the word here and for the reminder that we have peace with you that we are beloved, that we're saints. No matter our activity, that's who you made us in Christ. We give you the honor and the glory. In your name we pray. Amen. Help out next door if you can. Thanks, guys.